Shabbat Shalom, everybody, and welcome, welcome. Um, before we get into this um, week's message, I'm going to invite um, Brother Jeremy up in a minute. We're going to be talking about uh, the close, the resurrection, the millennium, and judgment, and judgment. Many of us have just experienced and celebrated Yom Kippur. Many have celebrated Yom Kippur, if you're a part of this congregation, in a different manner than you ever had before. And um, I got a lot of feedback, a lot of pushback with the chicken hat this week. <laughs> People don't understand me, and that's okay. But we do understand Yahweh's word as we go through this amazing walk together. And I just wanted to share something which really brings it home and just the culmination of this great faith that we have in Yeshua regarding Yom Kippur. It comes to us from Romia chapter 5 and verse 6. Romans chapter 5 verse 6. It is written, For when we were still without strength, in due time Moshiach died for the ungodly. For scarcely as a Zadik, a righteous man, will one die. Yet perhaps for a Tov, a good man, someone would even dare to die. But Elohim demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still in rebellion, Moshiach died for us. But so much more then. Having now been atoned, the Greek word there is diakau, it means to atone, be made just, to be made righteous. By his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to Yahweh through the death of his son, how much more? How much more now, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life? And listen to this, verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in Yahweh through our master Yeshua HaMashiach, through whom we have now received atonement. I understand where you're all at. I understand where I have been. And it's so easy to lay aside the book of Romans because most of us had it shoved down our throat for years upon years when we were in the traditional religious dogma system. How many of you did the Romans road? I studied the Romans road every Wednesday morning, every Friday morning for years upon years upon years. And when I started to come into the Shabbat, the feasts of Yahweh, then what did people use to beat me down? Nothing more than the book of Romans. So how many, come on, let's be honest, when you come into Yahweh's feasts, festivals, and the wonderful, wonderful works of his full council, have you maybe decided that you'd set aside the book of Romans for a while and study other things? Let's be honest. And oftentimes we forget the great powerful words that are written in this book and actually do apply that we can even understand more now in our full walk with Yahweh. Because you would never have read those verses with Yom Kippur in mind in a traditional Christian church setting. 
Because you had no idea what Yom Kippur was about because that was a Jewish thing. But now you can understand through the full counsel of Elohim, the power, the finished and completed work of Yeshua, even though you do keep his feasts and festivals, you keep them distinctly different. You keep them distinctly different. The Greek word here in verse 11 is very telling because it really does mean atonement. It's the Greek word katalege. For we have now received the atonement. You see, many people believe that we should be keeping Yom Kippur the way the rabbis keep Yom Kippur. But they haven't got the full revelation. We have been given the wisdom of Solomon through the resurrection and the power of the son, the Malkitzedek. You have been given the wisdom of Solomon because of the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh that you can see things that were hidden from those that walked in generations before you. So I pray that as we walk this road and we go into Sukkot, that there will be much revelation because Yahweh's people are crying out and grasping, grasping at the power of his word in a new way. In a new way. Freedom. Freedom from the doctrines and the dogmas of men. So that we can come into the full counsel of Elohim. Empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. That we can see things in a new and clear light. And with that, I'd like to invite again my friend, my brother Jeremy. From La Duke University of Biblical Exploration. As we delve into the resurrection... And the millennium, and we'll be looking at judgment. I set you up for success, for success. Welcome, brother, welcome. So, when we talk about the judgment, and especially as those of us that have come into the wonderful work of Yahweh's feasts, we understand that Yom Kippur is a time, is a time when you pray, when you pray for brothers, you pray for sisters, you pray for the lost, because it is an expectation of what? Yom Yahweh, the day of Yahweh, judgment, where Yahweh pours out his wrath on a Yah-rejecting society. But you and I have the responsibility to communicate the life and the atonement that is given today and is in place today as Rav Shaliak Shaul clearly communicated in the 5th chapter and the 11th verse of the Romans by the Malkitzedek Yeshua. So judgment looks completely different to those on the revelation of Yeshua. But we are still going to have to Look at what this day is in the scriptures. So with that, take us away on the millennium resurrection and the judgment. (laughs) Thank you for that awesome introduction. (laughs) Um, So it's kind of hard to talk about the judgment um, from this perspective that that we've been talking about it just because it's kind of all wrapped up into, I believe, one kind of major event. Um, Maybe it spanned over a couple of days, you know, with... You know, all these fall festivals being a shadow picture of that. I don't know that timeline. Um, I think that's fair, though. Um, but I think I think we need to look at it um, maybe as, as kind of a big kind of group of things that all happen at this this moment. The coming of Messiah, the, 
resurrection of the dead, the judgment and the new heaven and new earth. This is all like this is all happening at at the end of in my estimation the millennium. So kind of at like point, we have with the spring feast of Yahweh where everything compounds and comes together we have resurrect crucifixion, resurrections, first fruits, passover all coming together and happening at that same time. This with the judgment Yom Yahweh is really that first introduction with the clarion call of the shofar at Yom Teruah. We're seeing it really embraced and impacted in the full festivals, which is are upon us right now. Maybe a little bit more audio volume for Brother Jeremy. So yeah, I'm not the one to... <laughs> is that better? There we That's go. better, yeah. yeah. I have to eat the mic, I think. There you go. <laughs> so um, I, I think, you know... For me, when I looked at these verses, I started to see the coming of Yeshua, Yahweh, in another way. And um, it, it took reading the Tanakh and shelving Revelation for a bit, just like we're talking about Re- right. Romans, and just kind of, I need to get familiar with the front end of the book. And so we're just going to cover a couple of these, and I'd like you to keep in mind... Um, what we were talking about, Yeshua coming at the the end of the age, the end of the world, this this world, and, and at the coming of the world to come. So uh, Isaiah sixty six fifteen paints a little bit different picture of the coming of Yeshua than what we're we're familiar with. We're expecting you know angels or saints coming in the clouds and uh, re- the resurrection of the dead, and that's going to happen for us. We get to see something very glorious and, and welcoming, but for others, it's a dark day. So Isaiah sixty six fifteen says, "For behold, Yahweh will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire." And then sixteen says, "For by fire and by his sword will Yahweh plead with all flesh." And the slain of Yahweh shall be many. And this again is something that you would see in the temple service is that the refining process of the grain would be through crushing, pressing, sieving, and then going through the fire. And then whatever came through the fire, that was then offered up to Yahweh as a kadosh, holy offering unto him. But the majority of what initially came from the field, the world, did not make it through that process and got burnt up. So you see this throughout the scripture, and when Yahweh is going to be worshipped in spirit and in truth, it's going to be at the end of the age, and the majority of the crop from the world is not going to get through the refining process. The majority of it is going to lay on the ground and be trampled, like we discussed in previous weeks, under the feet of the righteous. Malachi 4, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get into that. Um, I think also a great picture, is, it took me a long time to, to find this, but there is this picture kind of painted in the scriptures of um, a lion, the the altar of Yahweh being called Ariel, mm, and yeah. the reason why they call that, at least traditionally, Ariel, was because they perceived the the fire coming down from heaven when they anoint, when they anointed in um, the altar with Solomon, um, and before that, that with I think with Solomon, sorry, that the fire came down in the shape of a lion, 
And if you can picture this, Peter calls us lively stones or living stones. They're unhewned by man, right? So Yahweh has formed us. That's why they're stones and uh, the altar is made of unhewn stone. And so you have a lamb that's placed on top of it, that's slaughtered, and there's blood that's pouring over those stones. And that lamb is, and the blood that's covering those living stones is protecting the stones from the wrath, from the lion, from Ariel, fire coming down from heaven in the shape of a lion to consume the lamb. Mm-hmm. And it's just this, I mean, I mean my it's wife amazing, painted a picture. amazing beautiful. picture of our life, of our life in yeah. Yom Kippur, in Yeshua, that we are those living stones and that right now we're supposed to be sacrificing our life upon the altar. We're supposed to be carving up the carnality of our lives. But ultimately, when this day comes, we need to ensure that the Lamb is above us, covering us, because the fire is going to come. The fire is going to become on the righteous and the wicked. The difference between the end result of what happens to the righteous is literally only because of one thing. Because the lamb is what covers them. That's the only thing. Covered in the blood. It's amazing. Job, yeah, Joel, excuse me, Joel, chapter 211, it says, For the day of Yahweh is great and very terrible. Who can abide in it? Nobody. In fact, nobody could abide in it if it were not for the covering of the lamb. And the uh, 31st verse of Joel, chapter 2, says, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of Yahweh. So after Sunday night, this could possibly happen. (laughs) (laughs) Watch out. Yeah, I mean, how many are freaked out about that? Right. Um, This, this for me, is a a bit more comforting. I I don't see it as uh, an event that actually isn't very... um, rare to have a, a, a blood moon or um, you know a solar eclipse um, but to have them happen at the same time that's miraculous that's something to look out for and uh, I think that's what we're looking at here and again I'd be placing this at the end of the millennium so I wouldn't be worried about it yeah and before you jump onto that we've we've had these discussions in private but there's a lot of talk right now about the blood moons and there have been many, and there is one coming up, um, this um, Sukkot, Erev Sukkot. But we've spoken in private, our understanding, and, and just the distinction between what you're saying here. Can you explain that to the audience, what you believe is the difference between what, you know, Jonathan Kahn has been speaking about, these solar eclipses, and what you believe the Bible teaches when it's saying what we've just read in Joel. I think that uh, it's, it's possible that that scenario is uh, a heavenly body of some sort, or maybe it's, gosh, maybe it's the angels of Yahweh that come in and, and block out the sun and then creating both a solar eclipse and a lunar eclipse at the same time. But I, I don't know what it is, but, but it's it could be different something. than this event that happens every couple of hundred years in your estimation yeah, and, and belief. And really these... You know, blood moons aren't rare. We, as people who you know maybe weren't part of Yahweh's festivals in our past, we're not really looking at the moon. I didn't know what phase of the moon it was until I started getting into the feasts, and and then now it's like, oh, there's a blood moon. It's like I'm reading Joel, and I'm you know, wow, this is this is the end of the days. Well, actually, it's actually pretty common for 
blood moons to happen on feast days because that's when they have to happen is on a full moon. And we have a couple of feasts that happen on a full moon. So it's not really that miraculous. And I know he ties it to historical events, but man, uh, go YouTube it. It can be debunked pretty in about 10 minutes, yeah. the, whole, the whole thing. So um, it doesn't really tie into... What we're seeing here, you're, you, in your estimation, is more of a, uh, a catastrophic event rather than just a something yeah. that's happening every couple of hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. when you see them coinciding together. Yeah, when I see the day of Yahweh, way. when I see the coming of Yeshua in the scriptures, I see the end of the world. I see elements melting with the fervent heat, right? Like, it's not um, the beginning of something... Um, that's sort of new, but sort of old, like we've been taught about the millennium in the past. It's a fresh start. It's a new heaven, new earth. The heavens roll away, right? We'll get into those scriptures. Um, Amos 5.18 says, Woe unto you that desire the day of Yahweh. To what end is it for you? The day of Yahweh is darkness and not light. And 5.20 says, Shall not the day of Yahweh be darkness and not light, even, uh, even very dark and no brightness in it? So it's a day that, uh, even for us, I think, is going to be a little bit scary if, if there's any of us left to see it. Um, but those that are uh, alive to see it, it's going to be a dark day. And um, I don't know, you're going to see people die. You know, and I don't know that that's great, but at the same time, you're, you're going to see your Savior coming in the clouds as well. So... I'm going to have mixed emotions, I think. In Isaiah 13, 6, it is written, Howl ye, for the day of Yahweh is at hand. It shall come as destruction, and it's going to come from the almighty Yahweh himself. Nahum says, uh, 1, 6 says, Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. I mean, even Moshe Rabbeinu, who walked with Yahweh, led Yahweh's people. When Moshe Rabbeinu did something that Yahweh commanded him not to do, there was serious, serious consequences. So you can see, even through the lives of the great men of Scripture, the great women of Scripture, that there can be catastrophic decisions made and consequences that then are put forth in their life, and that you can really see that you and I are put into the very bosom of Yahweh because of the great work of His Son. And that's why this ministry is such a focus on the preeminence of Yeshua, because all in all, we're those living stones, and if we don't have it right, then like Malachi says here in the fourth chapter in the first verse, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day cometh shall burn them up, saith Yahweh of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. So I understand this, that the wicked are tares, and they are like stubble. So depending on how wicked, how evil you are, means you're going to have grown more in wickedness. The longer you are as a tear, the longer that you're going to burn. So you can see that really what man does will be repaid to him. 
How much wickedness you live, how much wickedness you put forth means your tear is going to grow that much more erect, that much more prideful, and it's just going to be that better tinder to go through the fire. And there's going to be a longer pain, a longer chastisement, and a longer suffering before that tear is burnt to nothing and becomes ashes under the feet of the righteous. You know? Second Thessalonians one nine ties in here. Who who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of Yahweh and from the glory of His power? When I think about uh, how all this ties together, I I think we've we've shown a, a graphic before um, that that Yahweh is this refining fire and this fuller soap, and and that I I don't know if this is accurate, but I think He might be the lake of fire. I think he himself might be the the glory of his power might that perfect um, full glory might be the thing that just destroys death and wickedness and everything just by his like light destroys darkness it's going to come into his presence wicked people wicked things death hell the things that are not of him he's the source of life so death can't be present and so this this um, this coming of Yahweh this day of Yahweh is kind of all wrapped up into this one big event that of his Shekinah, his presence. Just like when they reached out to stabilize his presence upon the ark, what happened? Destruction. Because that was where he was. That was where he was between the two Herovim. That was Yahweh's glory. That was his fire. That was his Shekinah. That was the lion, if you will. And they just reached out destroyed destroyed again so that that would make sense to me too second peter 3 7 it is written but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of wicked men so this earth is actually got a reservation for the fire to come and 3 10 of second peter says but the day of yahweh will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And again, this ties in with what we're talking about, the fire, because the traditional story that's presented by the sages is that this actual phrase that is being communicated to the audience at the time of its writing was a phrase and, and a comes from a story that would be told during the temple times is that you would have the the Kohen that would be on duty at night time and his purpose was to keep the the um the altar of fire and they would wear the garments their garments would often be made when they were old their garments would be shredded and would be turned into the wicks that would light the menorah in the temple so if they were to fall asleep then the Kohen Haggadol would come in like a thief in the night to see if they were doing their duty. And if they were asleep at their post, then he would, the, the, the communication goes that he would take one of the fire pans and he would go and get the coals from the altar and he would then throw the coals on their garments while they were asleep and they would set a fire and they would run out of the temple naked. Now you can see this communicated in the book of Revelation and they would be a shame to their family because it was known that they did what? They were asleep and they neglected the duty of Yahweh and they were naked and ashamed as they ran out 
before the people. Again, it's connected with the Kohen Haggadah, Yeshua, if you will's return at a time that you're not expecting it, that you're asleep, not doing what you're supposed to be doing, and ultimately fire and destruction from the altar is what exposes your nakedness and shame. You see, so even those old ancient stories that come down to us from generation to generation, they tie in with what we're trying to communicate today through the scriptures. I think it's fascinating. Oh, all right. It says here in Second um, Peter 3.12, Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of Yahweh, which the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. I don't know how anybody's going to walk into the millennium at that point. Right. Right? I mean, it's gone. Like, everything of this, this earth is gone. This world is gone. And that kind of brings us back to the parable of the tares, just to, to remind everyone what we talked about last week, that you know, there's a feed of, of wheat and tares that the Messiah is talking about. Um, and when the harvest comes at the end of the season, right? it's not like there's you know, harvest at the beginning and then a thousand years go by and then another harvest here. It's at the end is when both the wheat and the tares are harvested together. And actually, it even says the tares first, which is yeah. contrary to what we're taught when we're taught about Revelation and how the first resurrection is that of the righteous. But it actually says by our Messiah himself, not an interpretation of a metaphorical revelation book or vision. Um, You've got to let the wheat and the tares grow up together until the sickle harvest of the Malachim. And you see the angels coming and doing the sickle harvest in the book of Revelation. But again, you know, when you think about it, the length of the tares, the pride of life, the pride of man, tares are going to stand straight up and erect. But the wheat and the tares, they're indistinguishable. They're indistinguishable until they become, the wheat becomes to bring forth the head and bring forth the fruit. And then the wheat then begins to, because of the weight it begins to humble itself and bow down, yet the tear has got the pride of life. So then when the angels come, the malachim come, they can take the sickle, and the, the tares are just upright and proud, and the wheat is bowed down, and therefore the tares then are gathered first and thrown into the fire. And I think about our walk, I think about my walk, and I'm going to be real with you, and my wife will testify to you this. It's a tough walk. It is a tough walk, especially being up here each and every week. There's a lot of pushback. There's a lot of spiritual warfare involved. And it it comes and it takes a toll on my family. It takes a toll on my life. But I tell you what, I feel a heaviness at times. But it's the humbling, the humbling of the power and the authority of Yahweh in my life, in the life of my family, in the life of the congregation. But sometimes you feel it too. It is heavy. It would be so much easier to be like the nations, to be like the world, until the day of Yahweh. So right now, yes, it's tough, and you feel that it's heavy, but it's the humbling process in preparation so that you can have life. So let everybody else have fun and be have the pride of life as you walk by and humble yourself. And you don't laugh at the jokes that they laugh at. You don't watch what they watch. You don't say what they say. And you know what? You don't fit in. 
And it is humbling and it's kind of heavy. But that is how it's supposed to be. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. I didn't mean to go off on a tangent Oh, that was great because that ties right into the parable of the tares. I mean, I don't know if people are familiar with just how all this goes down in, in the old days. But like you said, the wheat is bowing down with the heaviness of the fruit. And the tares are then cut down. And then they do harvest the wheat. And then that wheat is taken to the threshing floor. And at that point, it's crushed. So that's kind of that refining process we were talking about in past teachings. And um, so that that wheat is then crushed. The berries are, are there. They're, they're either beaten or um, you might have seen threshing floors with um, like a cow pulling on a, a sled and, and that crushes the, the wheat. And that separates the actual kernel from the chaff. And then they take a fork and they throw it up into the air and the wind catches the chaff, that extra stuff that's no good, and, and it takes it away. So that's, there's a refining process there. And then that wheat is, that wheat berry is then crushed again and made into flour. And we talked about how flour is kind of a nice picture of how you can um, yeah. turn that into the, the flesh, the body that's going to be filled with the Spirit to create you a new soul. You, know, you will be born again, literally, with all the character and fruit and, and character of Yahweh that you have written on your heart through doing his Torah through love in Yeshua. So that's I, a big picture of the tares. And I think this message, it's a heavy message. It's a heavy burden that burns on all of our hearts. It truly is. There is a, a, a burning in it. But also when you go through those times of crushing, what we're supposed to do is to accept that crushing, work through that crushing, and then have the full expectation of pressing into the wind because the wind is then going to take, the Ruach HaKodesh is then going to, what, take off that outer hardness. You know that hardening when somebody does something and it hurts you and you kind of get that hardening? Well, the purpose is that we're supposed to humble ourselves and allow the Ruach HaKodesh then to blow that hardening away because we don't want to end up old, bitter people. You know, you meet those old people, they've just had a hard life. And they've just got all that bitterness and resentment because they didn't allow the humbling process and call on the Ruach HaKodesh to blow out that outer kernel and blow it away and to produce more fruit. I mean, it's all agriculturally there. We're an agricultural people by nature in our tribal lands of Israel. So, yeah. So if you want to you know, get, get into the parable of the tares and just review all of the, the pieces of it, it's in Matthew 13. And um, I'm just going to read this verse out of it again to kind of remind us when this takes place. It says, so shall it be at the end of the world, the angel shall, shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Yeah, and that's Matthew 13, 49. So when does this harvest of, of the people come? The wicked and the righteous. It is very clear, the Yeshua communicates, it's at the end of the world. So shall it be at the end of the world, the angels shall come forth to that sickle harvest. Yeah, and then he explains, he explains it in plain English for us, if you will. Uh, the field is the world. The harvest is the end of the world. Um, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall be the end, it be in the end of the world. It just can't be any more clear. 
It goes on and we can see here that the field is the world. We see this analogy through the parable. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are, again, the children of unrighteousness and wickedness. The enemy that sowed them is Satan. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the malachim, the angels. And therefore, the tares are gathered and burned with that fire, with that fire, so it shall be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather gather out of his kingdom all that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be a wailing and a gnashing of teeth. Then, when then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father who has the ear, the blood-tipped ear, should be able to understand this amazing stuff yeah and i think uh with uh with that i didn't even i didn't even really catch that before but people have uh argued that well you know he comes with his saints so therefore we're in heaven or we're some you know we're somewhere where he comes with us and that's a question that's come up about this and um when i was doing some research into this 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 isn't the first time this um type of phrase is used it's actually in the tanakh and i can't i didn't put it in my notes here so i don't have the reference for you right now but um it says the same thing i think gosh is it daniel i'm not sure but it but when you go into the septuagint it actually tells you that it's angels instead of saints oh okay right and so that actually ties in right here because he's saying he comes with angels that's who's coming with him, not saints as we think of them being, you know, us. you know, or Sons of men. Yeah, but actually angels. So that uh, hopefully will, uh, hopefully I can get that question, uh, that uh, verse for us later and I'll post it on yeah. Facebook. Um, so I, then it comes down to what about the devil? Um, and it's the Diablos. <laughs> Revelation 20.10 says the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. What do you all think about this Pope and the events that are happening? Very scary. The Jesuit order and the things that are being put forth and embraced by the global elite. We need to be aware. It is so dangerous. So dangerous. I don't want to go off on that tangent. I'm very tempted, but I am going to hold back. I'm going to hold back. We'll save it for the fireside at Sukkot. Ezekiel 28:18 says thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by thy multitude of thine iniquities by the iniquity of thy traffic therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee it shall devour thee and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold you mm. Again I mean there's going to be people there to be seeing these things I mean Revelation 20:14 and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire and this is the second the second death. Yeah, so this is kind of this was a big one for me when I started um 
I hadn't come yet into Torah, but I started to investigate um, life and death and, and these topics. Was this when you were Jesuit? Mm-hmm. No, I was never Jesuit, for the record. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I was never a Jesuit. This is recorded for, like, you know, the, the people in the millennium are going to see this and they're going to go. Um, so, yeah, it was a game changer for me. And I don't know, you know, I you don't necessarily know where everybody comes from. Some people are new into Torah. Some people are, you know, they don't, they're not always in the same place. But I always thought that uh, people went to hell and then. You know, but then in here reading this, it's thrown into the lake of fire, and and so. So this different. idea of an eternal burning hell, it truly is not scriptural because hell is eventually eventually destroyed. Yeah. So, and the the idea of a second death. I mean, everybody is going to be raised, the wicked and the righteous, and they're going to be raised to life. And, and for the wicked, that's going to be a scary day for them to to face judgment, and. And the scare, the next scariest bit about that is that you're going to see that you're gonna, not only you're going to see everything that you've done, and you're going to know know without a shadow of a doubt that you were the one responsible for your condition. But then you're going to know that you're going to die again, and there is no coming back from that second death. There is no second resurrection. There is no coming back from the second death. And I think you know, in a society that we live in that has become so corrupted and so de- degraded, and you see and hear about so much of suicide today. But when you could really communicate this message to those depressed people that that, that think that's an avenue of getting out, you actually are going to be raised up again. You're going to be resurrected. What? You see, I mean, they they have all heard, well, it's the end, I'm done, you know. But no, you can do that to yourself, but you will be raised up again. Now, that is scary to somebody that is in that desperate situation, and they think that that that's a way out. It's not, because you will have the resurrection. I mean, you you can use this as a, um, a way to communicate the good news of the Scripture to a desperate and hopeless society. That that is not the way out. Not, not like the the Catholicos will tell you that you'll be in you know in hell in in hell. Excuse me, but um, that you you know you're going to be raised up for the resurrection, even though you may be wicked. Because the wicked and the just will be raised. Yeah, you're going to stand in in your own self righteousness. You're going to stand there before the one who is righteous, the righteous one. And are you sure, I mean, are you sure that you're sure that you're sure that you're not going to come back from the dead? Do you have any idea? I mean, none of us know, except for what the scriptures tell us. You know, these guys are guessing. Atheists are guessing. They don't know what comes after, if there's anything. Yeah. So are you sure that you're sure that you're sure that nothing's coming after this? Because I'm telling you that there's a judgment after this, and that you're not going to want to be there if you don't have the covering, so... That's all I've got. Oh, it's frozen. It's frozen. Oh, that's it. All right. That's all I got. Death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. We've got it a new heaven and new earth death, after that. And a new heaven and a new earth. So the questions that have been posed since we began this conversation a few weeks ago, um, it's been really hard for a lot of people to, to kind of grasp and comprehend, first and foremost, um, that 
we've presented the, the belief that Yeshua is going to come back at the end of the millennium. And the reality that we believe through the scripture is that the millennium is a time where human, natural humans in their natural bodies will be working and toiling and going through that period for the thousand years. And that's been hard for a lot of people to, to, to grasp because of the, prom- um, the predominant theology of the day is the um, pre-millennial return. Can you kind of comment on that and maybe some of the, the feedback and the pushback that you've had over the years when you've communicated and uh, presented this to various peoples and audiences? Yeah, you know, the, there's actually three different views in Christianity about the millennium, and, and they're pretty broad, and, and ours don't really even fit into the three, really. But there's premillennialism, which is where a majority of evangelicals fall, and um, there's amillennialism, and there's postmillennialism. And I'm not going to get into the definitions of each of those, but some of the arguments against postmillennialism is that in the postmillennial view, the Christian view, the world's supposed to get better and better and better, and we obviously see it getting worse and worse and worse. And so I would I would differ in my view, and I'm not really saying I, I'm saying um, that I believe in a post-millennial theology, but it's a post-millennial return of Yeshua. So it's distinct from what you're going to read out there regarding those three. But you should know that Christianity has had those three views since its inception. Right. This isn't. The, the concept of Yeshua coming after the millennium isn't new to, to us. It's not new to Christianity in general. So um, you can read about the arguments out there and and just know that this is somebody else's you know interpretation. There's three different major interpretations, and you can go and you can read the arguments and you can decide. And this is what I've done: is I've read the arguments and I've decided that you know I don't I don't see that part of it as true. You don't have to accept the whole thing. And you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater either. So, um. Another thing that's come up, and um, you understand my belief um, um, with the Malkitetic priesthood, we've spoken a lot about that. And um, from where I'm coming from, people have, have questioned, well, how, how can you teach this in line with what you're teaching about the Malkitetic priesthood? And, and what would you say as far as that's concerned? Putting me on the spot. I know. But this is I, where I Matthew like and I disagree. Um, we've had lots of conversations about it, and I still don't really get where it's coming from. <laughs> but uh, but I'm open to it, and that's the you know that's the heart I think that we want to have about this. I take uh, Ezekiel um, 37 onward and, and and so forth at face value. I think that there are um, sacrifices that go on during that time, just as we look forward, uh, or they looked forward to Yeshua through the sacrifices that we would be looking back on that, doing the same thing. Because if we read in Hebrews, it says, the blood of bulls and goats never took away sin. Never did. Not back then. It's not going to do it in the future. So what was the purpose? It was a shadow picture. It's going to be a shadow picture for whenever he's not here physically. So if he doesn't return for that thousand years, then we have shadow pictures to still give us that very real, I don't know if anybody's participated in any kind of uh, thing like that, uh, I know I've done in the, I know this is taboo, but I have been a part of a Passover where we, we did slaughter a lamb for dinner. And just the process of slaughtering an animal wasn't a sacrifice unto Yahweh, but it was a, it was a slaughter for dinner and it was brutal. 
It was brutal, you know, um, and we did it humanely. <laughs> it so was with, brutal. with that understanding, um, with somebody that understands a Malkitzedic differently than the way that you do, what you're seeing is that with Yeshua coming at the end of the millennium, that you understand that the book of Ezekiel that there will be sacrifices because there's going to be um, still sinners in the the world. Right. And it's going to be um, a covering for those sinners in the world by a, pre- a priesthood. Is that correct? Well, I wouldn't say that they're, that they're actually getting a literal covering. covering. I would say that just as a, a, a reminder. Shepherd. It's yeah. a reminder yeah. of the, the, the authority of Yahweh and his supremacy and theocracy and what it's established on. Right, and I would, and I would say that, you know, hopefully uh, this millennium uh, that I'm depicting is one that's in Yeshua and that, that picture is constantly being reminded. Um, so even with the Malkitzedic priesthood understanding myself, you could... That could be a justifiable explanation that would work because, you, again, you're taking the book of Ezekiel on f- at face value. And that, that could work and still be able to communicate what I'm communicating by the, the supremacy of the Malkitzedic priesthood. Now, I don't believe that myself, and I'll be teaching on that during Sukkot on how I understand the book of Ezekiel was actually a conditional covenant that was promised and this isn't my idea this is actually a, was a very popular um, um, theology in the 19th century but again at the beginning of the 20th century and we had the whole Zionist explosion and in 1948 with the birth of the state of Israel and Zionist Christianity what I'm going to be talking about went by the wayside. The 19th century common um, theology was that the book of Ezekiel was a conditional covenant that was given to Israel in exile and they didn't take hold of it and therefore it isn't going to pass as some future event. Whether you take the view that Jeremy has, which is literal, or the view that I'm going to be presenting, Either way, you can still have a Malkitzedic priesthood and the preeminence of Yeshua, you see. And now your interpretation of that Malkitzedic priesthood, again, people interpret it differently, you and I do. But again, these shouldn't be things that divide us. These should be things that cause us to go deeper into the Word together to draw out those living a pagan, corrupted, and half-assed lifestyle. Can you say that? I just did. But anyway. (laughs) So... Brother Steve, do we have any questions, comments in the back? All right, he's going to ask. You know, there's yeah. a big delay, so we can, yes. you know, there's, I think, 30-second delay from what's out there <laughs> when we ask that question. So, any Anybody here? Anybody here? Questions, comments, ideas? Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 Okay
So the question is, um, has the millennium started? Has the millennial reign started? Um, Good question. Uh, yeah. I guess it depends on you know which calendar you're on. And, you right. <laughs> That's a whole other topic. So now that brings us to the calendar. And what? <laughs> yeah, we've still got a few minutes. We left. can wrap this up in five minutes. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Note to self, Brother John, that we should buy another microphone. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So to attempt to answer that question, it's just you know depends on the depends on the calendar. I don't know what year it is, um, but uh, there might be you know there might be that discovery here soon. You know, I think because it's whether we're two hundred years out or we're nine years in, as some calendars out there say. Um, I think either way, it's it's going to happen over a period of time. You know, it's like the exile took time to to take all the people out. It's going to take time to bring everybody in. Um, so there's going to be quite a bit of you know war and lots of stuff happening. It's got to take time. So I don't think it's going to be an overnight thing. Yes. So the question was, are we saying we believe that Yeshua returns after the thousand-year millennial reign? Yes. 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 And the yes. tail end of that was after the tribulation. Yes. So the question was, do, are we, um, have we been teaching over these past few weeks that Yeshua, we believe that Yeshua is going to return after the 1,000-year millennial reign and after the tribulation that would be before the destruction of this earth. Yes. Yes. But it's going to be at the end of the millennial. But if we look to what's called Yaakov's trouble, Jacob's trouble, we can understand from the Torah that Jacob had two troubles, two troubles, excuse me, both lasting 21 years. So Jacob's trouble, we see that he did have two troubles. He had the trouble when he was with Laban, and he also had the trouble when Joseph, his son, his beloved, departed from him. So again, the picture of Jacob's trouble is, I believe, that you're going to see a time of trouble before the millennium, which is actually going to usher in the millennium. Now, what is going on in Syria with Iran and Russia right now? Could this possibly be the event coinciding with the Italian Pope, the Jesuits? <laughs> I'm not a Jesuit. No. Could this be the event that would be that Jacob's trouble that is going to upside, bring the whole world upside down, the financial crisis and that? Do I believe that that's possible? I think that we're going to see a Jacob's trouble that's going to usher us into the millennium. That's my understanding of eschatology. And then at the end of the thousand years, you will have the second Jacob's trouble or the great tribulation. Because Jacob's time with Laban was Jacob's trouble. But it was nothing like the heart of Jacob being ripped out for the time that his beloved son Joseph was taken. That was Jacob's great tribulation. You see, so again, I, the more time we spend in the Torah, 
the more time and more understanding that we have in the Brit Hadashah, I believe. So, yes, another question. You had another question back there? Yeah, and there have been some questions about the calendar. Um, Jeremy and I did the calendar conversation earlier in the year. Um, and as a, as a community, Torah to the tribes, we had already made preparations, made financial commitments, made commitments with brothers and sisters from all over the nation to come and spend Sukkot at this time tomorrow on the Hillel calendar. So we kept our commitments, we kept our word, and we continue to do that. So I did not change over to what we were discussing earlier in the year because of that. I believe that was the right thing to do. So beginning next year, Aviv 1, going to start implementing here at Torah to the Tribes the calendar that we discussed earlier in the year. But we're going to begin that on Aviv 1, which was the solar calendar, which begins next year on Aviv 1. So we'll be looking for that equinox event. So, yes. Oh, yes, brother, you had a question in front. Okay. Yes. Baruch Hashem, <laughs> Yahweh, hallelujah. Thank you. Oh, bless you, bless you. We are so excited to have many of you that have come from out of state for Sukkot. And I'm, I am so looking forward to this time. What is the weather report for Sukkot? It's looking good. It's a beautiful area right down the river. Oh, we are so blessed. So, Brother John, come on up. And first and foremost, I just want to thank you for your friendship and for, um, for your brain and for your Ruach HaKodesh. It's been great having him here for the past month and um, really been a blessing to be able to communicate clearly. But, Brother, would you talk to us about um, some um, housekeeping for Sukkot and, uh, yes, anything else? Housekeeping Brother for Sukkot. Steve, come up too. Let well, me. Um, check-in's going to be 2 o'clock tomorrow. And Rob, let's get Rob up here Rob, too. Come on, Rob. Come on, Rob. Rob's, yeah. Rob pretends to be shy, but he's really not. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He pretends to be. And then once we get camp set up at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a, a gathering at the uh, gazebo. Now, so yeah. first and foremost, this is John. This is Rob. And this is Steve. These gentlemen will be helping you out with any of your needs at Sukkot. So if you have any questions, you can just go and um, bang on their door late at night, early in the morning, yank on their power cords, and uh, we've got radios too. And if you don't have any joy with them, then stand up, Brother Sean. You can always come. If you have any problems with your children getting to sleep, we have the baby whisperer. We have the baby whisperer. <laughs> so anyhow, we'll make some more announcements at 7 o'clock as we gather, <laughs> as we gather under the gazebo for tea and crumpets at 7 oh, yeah. o'clock. And we'll have a welcoming time.
and the time to get to know one, one other a little better, and then we'll have some more announcements, more specifics then. But okay. we look forward to seeing you all there. And like Matthew said, it's just it's just been an overwhelming blessing, the journey we're on, and we're so thankful to be a part of it. Amen. Baruch Hashem, yes. What campsite are you at? Me? I am me. Oh, yeah, what are you at? Yeah, it's going to be D8. What, me? I'm, I'm like, what? They're all going to show up at your campsite. Yeah, D8. <laughs> Uh, I am at C3, I think, but but we'll we'll get all that dialed in when we get there. We'll, we're gonna have a first aid site for our first aid and uh, questions and itineraries and stuff. So the main thing you need to know is he's an ex-marine, yeah, former marine. No, is that 6B is where the mac and cheese is gonna be on oh, Monday and Wednesday? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Okay, yeah. right. On the east end of the camp is pretty much where we've all gathered. Everyone's got sites along the east end. And Do you already have, like, a group Yes, in fact. Because there's, like, a group reservation members only. Yeah, you got to be inside. The, you want to be inside the camp. Well, yes. Two, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fine. That's fine. No, that's fine. But it's going to be on the east side of the camp. You'll see a gazebo towards the east side. Okay, it's an open gazebo right in the middle of a, of a, of a, of a parking lot area. Okay. But just show up at 7 o'clock uh, tomorrow night at the welcoming time. But we'll people can start arriving at 2? Yeah, 2 o'clock is check-in 2 o'clock and check-in. But yeah. we don't have to check-in. We just show up, right? Yeah, just show up. Yeah, okay. We'll need help. Yeah. Wow, you're already there. We're going to check into your place then. <laughs> and season, you're ready to rock it. We've got some Navajo dancing. Navajo. Nice. <laughs> All right, Baruch Hashem, Yahweh. Thriller?